Stand with me this morning. We're going to read the word of the Lord. Let's stand. Uh, we don't always do this, but I just want to stand in reverence of God's word today. We're going to go to the book of Revelation today. I want to preach a message called Worthy. Worthy. And Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is where we're going to read from today. Just an absolutely amazing passage of Scripture. We're going to begin in uh, verse 9. It says, And the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forevermore. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you, by, by, I'm sorry, by your will, they exist and were created. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 1,000, 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. I looked that number up, and the only way that that number could be figured is exponentially. I Googled that this morning, and it was something like 1.080s E plus 15. That's the only way that number can be described. That, that, this is the, the, the picture of eternity. 
something that we, we can't even comprehend, the, the numbers of uh, created beings around the throne of God. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and, and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for everyone who's gathered here today. Lord, you sent your son Jesus to close the greatest gap, the greatest communication gap that was between you and man. And you closed the gap with one word, Jesus. Lord, we're thankful for your son Jesus. We're thankful for Calvary. We're thankful for the work that he did to redeem us back to yourself. Father, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear today, things that we can't comprehend, things that are mysteries, things that are astounding. But by your spirit, Lord, I pray that we can receive these things, that revelation would indeed come to us, Lord, and that it would give life and light to everyone who hears. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Before I get too deep into this, I, I do want to mention we had a new uh, panel installed, our stained glass, this week, and it is the resurrection scene. Amen. It's the last panel over here on the left. Mike, Mike, would you stand just for a second? This is Mike McCarty. He's been here. It's been here today, Mike. It's been here. It's been here. Ben's not here, is he? Okay, so Mike and his son Ben are the guys behind this beautiful art. They do a wonderful job. We need to have Mike come and share some of these last pieces that he's installed. And what, there's, there's hidden meanings in all of these. It just declares the word and the gospel of Jesus all throughout this artwork. We're appreciative of that work. So we're in... The book of Revelation, and I know many Christians are intimidated sometimes even to read the book of Revelation. It's too mysterious, too hard to comprehend. Some even say, I, I mentioned Revelation this week to a Christian, he said it was scary, and that the book of Revelation had been used to scare him stiff and keep him straight and on the right path. But, you know, there, there's actually a blessing that comes, it says in the Word, there is a blessing that comes from reading the book of Revelation. And if we can get some very simple uh, keys, the book of Revelation isn't scary 
or intimidating, and a lot of the mystery can go away. First of all, we have to read it with the Holy Spirit as our guide. Amen? There's no way that we can comprehend these things without the Holy Spirit. But secondly, we need to understand what exactly the book of Revelation is. I went into my Daniel and Revelation class, first day of a new semester, my senior year in Bible college, and our instructor, Dr. Van Gill, he said, don't look to try to figure out what nations are in this book. Don't try to find the nuclear bombs and the helicopters. Don't try to figure out if it's mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib. Don't read this book looking for those things. Read this book for what it is. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. This book is written to reveal something to us about Jesus and his kingdom. And this book is really the redeeming of the inheritance and the removing of the usurpers. In Revelation, we see what began in Genesis come to conclusion and fulfillment. It's an interesting study to study Genesis and Revelation together because we see the beginnings and we see the conclusions in those two books. The the Bible is a story of redemption. The Bible is a story of God's plan. It's written by many men, but the Bible says that they, 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 it wasn't really written by men, but those those holy men of old wrote as the Holy Spirit gave them inspiration to write. So they were just penmen, and the Holy Spirit was telling them what to write. And the Holy Spirit through them was telling the story of redemption. As, as we look into this scene that we've read today, we, we get a glimpse into eternity, and it is glorious, it is mysterious. There are things that we can't comprehend with our human minds. There are things I've been studying the, the scriptures for 20-some years, and there are many things in the book of Revelation that I still don't understand, but that's okay. You have to realize that as you read the book of Revelation, you're, you're gaining an unusual perspective, especially in this chapter 5 that we have read today. We're getting an unusual perspective of eternity. The Holy Spirit's allowing us to glimpse heaven or eternity without the restrained bonds of time. We're taken beyond the temporal limits to see something that is supernatural, something that is of eternity. John, the revelator, in this book, he's taken from Patmos to paradise. An angel comes and takes him, and he gives him a view of things that are transpiring in the heavenlies, in in eternity, and he sees things that are beyond the natural eye. In uh, flash frames, the Holy Spirit allows us, through John, to see the realities of heaven, which are far beyond all human understanding. We can study this book, we can study this one chapter for all of our lives, and we're never going to truly be able to understand it until we get to heaven. You think about that, the the descriptions of the multitudes around the throne of God. 
beyond our minds. I mean, it is mind-blowing when you consider this. So, but John is carried directly into the majestic throne room of God, and what he is witnessing is something that is astounding. It's almost like the scene of a courtroom. This document is brought forth, this scroll that is written within and on the backside and sealed with seven seals. Seated on the throne of God is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he has in his hand this scroll with that writing in his hands, right? What, what is that book? That's been the question of scholars for many, many years. There's been much debate on this. Some would propose that it's the Lamb's, Lamb's book of life, the book in which every name that has been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus is written. But Revelation chapter, 12, or chapter 20, verse 12 tells us that that is not it. It is a different book. It is not the Lamb's book of life. Others have thought that this might be a book of prophecy. And the reason that John wept was because he desired to look into that prophecy and see things that are to come. But that is not it because it tells us that this book is a book of the past, present, and future. It is a book that contains the entire scheme, the entire plan that God has set in order for the redemption of mankind. And so that's not what this book is about. Others have suggested that it was a last will and testament, and that is close. Somebody taught me, one of my mentors taught me that the best place, when you, when you have a question about the Bible, you know where the best place to find the answer is? Yeah, it's not Google. It's the Bible. And so when you have a question about the Bible, you need to get in the Bible. About something in the Bible, you need to get into the Bible so you can find the answer. So I began to search many years ago and look for a similar book. I found one in Ezekiel chapter 2, but it didn't quite fit the description of this book. I found one in Daniel. It didn't quite fit the description of this book, this scroll, this thing that had writing on the inside and on the back and was sealed with seals. But eventually I stumbled onto a passage in Jeremiah chapter 32 about a cousin of Jeremiah's whose name was Hanamiel. And Hanamiel was imprisoned and he had, doesn't give details of how, but he had lost his inheritance. And Jeremiah was his near kinsman, his goel, the near kinsman redeemer. He had a legal right because he was Hanamiel's closest relative. He had a legal right by Jewish law to buy the, the, the inheritance that Hanamiel had, had forfeited. So Jeremiah does this. He, he makes the transaction and he redeems the inheritance that his cousin had lost. Now you need to understand this. That, that piece of land that Hanamiel had, had lost, it, it was under occupation. There was a former, foreign army that had rule over that territory and land. So he bought this in faith that one day the kingdom of Israel was going to be restored. But Jeremiah purchases this lost inheritance and he redeems the inheritance that his cousin Hanamiel had lost. In the description of that book, it says that it had a writing on the inside and on the outside, but it was sealed with a seal. This was the custom of the time.
whenever there was a, a legal documentation of a sale of a property, it was a deed in this document. All the legal details were written inside and sealed, and on the back side, there was a description given so that when it was brought to the courts, that that official could read that document and make sure that they had the right document. So this is the document that we see, I believe, in the book of Revelation chapter 5, in the hand of the one who is seated on the throne. I believe that the reason that, that John the Revelator wept was because he realized that there was an inheritance that had been lost, but there was no one who was worthy to buy it back. No one found in heaven or in earth worthy to redeem back the, the inheritance that had been lost. That means there could be no judgment made on those documents. There, there could be no redemption of that lost inheritance, and thus there could be no inheritance. And this is not an inheritance of just some piece of land. We have to understand, we're talking about the inheritance that Adam forfeited when he fell into sin. Adam forfeited what God had given him, and his inheritance his inheritance was lost. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden and he gave them dominion. He gave them authority. He gave them an inheritance. But what happened? The, the, the serpent came in, Lucifer, who I, I believe was there to do a job. He was in the, in the garden. I believe he was created in the garden. God set him in the garden. Ezekiel tells us that, that he was created in the garden and he was there for a purpose. He was a cherub angel. He was there to cover, I believe, and this is some supposition on my part, but I believe that he was there to cover or to guard the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to keep man from it. But instead, he enticed man to it. Come and partake of this fruit. Don't you know that if you will eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be as God? And Adam allied himself with God's enemy, Lucifer. They came into league and they rebelled against God. Adam and Eve partook of that fruit. And when they did, sin entered into the human race. And with that came death. Man had rebelled against man and in so, against God, and in so doing, they had eaten the cockatrice eggs. They had drank the poison of ass. Death came. Death, death's curse came upon mankind because of his rebellion against God. God tabernacled in the garden with man. I mean, Adam had it good. He had true, unbroken fellowship with God. He walked with God in the garden. And he rebelled against God. And God withdrew his presence, his tabernacle. And man had to find his way under the weight of sin, having forfeited the dominion the authority, the inheritance that God had given him. Sin had entered in and the curse came over the human race and the inheritance had been lost. And so John sees this document, 
recognizing what it is. It is the, her- the inheritance that Adam had, in- had-, had forfeited, the kingdom forfeited. And there's no one found in heaven worthy to open the seals of the, of the book. And so John wept. There was weeping in heaven. I don't think that as we sit here today, we can realize the importance of what's contained in this document. The significance of what had been lost. If, this, if there's no one to redeem this document, there is no redemption for mankind. There is no eternal life. There is no life in paradise. There is no kingdom of heaven. If this document can't be restored and redeemed. And so John is weeping. But the elder, one of the elders speaks up and he says, do not weep. Do not weep, John. Behold, the lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. For the the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang the new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they sang the new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by his own blood. He has redeemed us. By his own blood, he bought back our inheritance. We have to realize that as Jesus hung between heaven and earth, suspended on a cross, not only was he redeeming man back from the curse of sin that was over his life, but he was redeeming this entire world. Listen, we need to be good stewards of planet earth. But if your goal and agenda in life is to save this planet, I don't want to disappoint you, but Jesus is coming back. He's going to destroy this thing with fire, and he's going to make all things new. Amen? Save the planet. How about save the people? Let's get on a mission to save souls. This planet's going away soon. It's going to dissolve like wax and be made new. Amen? Why? Because he's redeemed it with his own blood. Hallelujah and glory to the Lamb. Adam sinned against God. And everything that he could have ever wanted was lost and forfeited. But God had a plan. Amen? You know that God was not surprised by Adam's sin? God had a plan. Behold, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. God had a plan from creation to redeem. He knew that man would rebel against him, and he had a plan from the foundation of the world to redeem man back to himself. Amen? 
Do you know when God first told that Jesus was going to come? Immediately after the sin of Adam, God says, I've got a plan. I'm going to send a Savior who's going to save you from your sins. The first messianic prophecy is handed out when, 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 whenever God's dealing with Adam and Eve after they have sinned, and he's, he's dealing with this serpent. And he says to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You're going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. How many of you know that at the cross, Satan bruised the heel of Messiah, but Messiah crushed the head of the serpent, and he won the great victory that redeems us back to God. God had a plan from the beginning. Even in the garden when Adam sinned, God had a plan. And you know how much faith Adam had in that statement of what God told him? What God's saying is that the seed of your wife is going to bring forth a Messiah that is going to save all of mankind. In that verse, Genesis 3.15, that's what God is saying. I'm, I'm going to send the seed of God. There, there's going to be a great conflict between you and this seed. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The seed of a woman. There's a child coming. There's a deliverer that's going to come forth through the matrix of a woman that's going to save the human race. That's what God is declaring in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And you know how much faith Adam had in that statement? Look at, look at just go up a couple of verses to verse 20. And it says that Adam called his wife's name Eve. You see, before the fall, they both shared one name. Adam. Adam. They were one flesh. And they shared that name. But after they, this, the punishments and the judgments had been passed down from the Lord, God makes this statement to Adam, I'm going to send a seed through your wife that's going to save the world. He, you know what he names his wife? Eve. Eve. And it literally means because she was the mother of all living he had so much faith in the statement that God said, your seed is going to bring forth a redeemer that he renamed his wife the mother of all living. She's going to give birth to the one who will give new life. That's the statement in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. Adam foresees the birth of a life-giving redeemer because of what God had said. God had a plan God would foretell over and over throughout Scripture 333 times God foretells of his son that's going to come and redeem, the Lamb of God that's coming to redeem man from the curse. In Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 and 10, he says Judah is like a lion's whelp. And the scepter, he says, will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, until the Redeemer comes. You see, all throughout Scripture, 333 times, specifically, God foretells through the prophets, through the mouth of, of his servants, he foretells, I'm sending a Redeemer. I'm sending a Messiah. I'm sending one who is going to save my people from their sins. The, 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 and he's right here in this verse in, in Isaiah or in Genesis chapter 49. He's saying, look, it's going to come through the line, the lineage of Judah. He's foretelling. He's, he, he is mailing. He's making it clear. He's putting the address out there for all of us to see this is what it's going to look like when it, it comes. He gives us a very clear description. 333 of these types of prophecies. I'm not going to give them all to you today. 
Just a few. But Josh McDowell, the apologist, he got some mathematicians together, some statisticians together, and he said, I want to see what the probability of one man fulfilling these 333 prophecies are. The mathematicians could not figure the probability of one man fulfilling all 333 of these problem, the prophecies. So they took the seven most specific prophecies and they worked with those. And this was their conclusion. The statisticians said, if you would cover the state of Texas, have you ever been there? That's a big place. That's where I grew up. That's a big, big place. You know, you, you can enter Texas on I-10 on the east side of the state, Orange, Texas, and it says 989 miles to El Paso, Texas, the furthest point west. It is a big place. Well, these statisticians said if you cover the state of Texas with silver dollars knee deep, and you take one silver dollar and you mark it, and you throw it out into that vast sea of silver dollars and you shake it up, the chances of a man reaching in and pulling that same silver dollar out are the chances of one man fulfilling these seven prophecies mathematically. Jesus didn't only just fulfill the seven, he fulfilled the 333 prophecies. Every single one of them have been fulfilled by the Lamb of God. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Behold, a virgin is going to conceive and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. He's telling, look out, there's a virgin that's going to give birth, and this shall be a sign. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the many thousands of Judea, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who shall be the Redeemer of all of Israel. He gave the exact spot where the Messiah would be born. In Zechariah 9.9, he foretells what it would happen on Palm Sunday when Jesus would ride in on the colt of a donkey and present himself as the prince of Israel. And Daniel, I'm not going to go into too much depth on this one, but in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, there's a prophecy known as Daniel's 70-week prophecy. And in this prophecy, he gives the exact date, more than 400 years before Jesus arrives, Daniel, through this 70-week prophecy, gives the exact date when Jesus was going to show up on Palm Sunday. Deadly accuracy, deadly accurate is the prophetic word of God. 333 prophecies. And the writer says in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Right? What, for what purpose? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. He came as the prophets foretold to redeem us back to God so that we could again be the son of, sons of God. Jesus shows up. He lives a life. You think about this. This man lived 33 years. He, he lives a perfect life. 33 years without sin. Doing good. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He cast demons out of people. All he did was go about doing good, and they nailed him to a tree. 
But here's what's happening. He didn't deserve it. He was an innocent man. But through the injustice of mankind, the justice of God was wrought. Wrongly crucified. That's why the Bible said if Satan had known, he would not have crucified the king of glory. Why? Because Jesus did not deserve to die. Death is the consequence of sin. And all of us deserve death. All of us deserve death because of our sins. Jesus didn't deserve it. That's where Satan made his big mistake. He killed an innocent man. He killed a man without of God. This is the moment where the lion becomes the, he could have pulled himself off of that cross. The reason he stayed on that cross, the Bible tells us that he was set before him. You know what the joy was? Of God. The redemption of his enemies, but if he went to slay his enemies, he'd have to slay every single one of us. He could have come off that cross if he wanted to and destroyed every enemy, but that would have meant the end of every one of us. And he gave his life that we might have life that we can be redeemed, that we can be the sons of God, that we can inherit the great inheritance of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus went to the three, or 13, verse seven, where he says, my equal, the lion of Judah, the came down off of his throne. He was born through the matrix of a woman, lived on this earth for 33 years. The lion became a lamb, and he went to the cross, triumphing over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And this is foretold by the prophets as well. Chapter 1, verse 10, it says that in, in the, he has a right to claim you. He owns you. He'll redeem him. Here's the message I believe in, in, encrypted in that passage of Scripture for us today. If you've got an ear to hear and a leg to stand on, God can save you. If you're hearing this message today, it is the Messiah calling you back to himself, trying to redeem you. Come to the Savior. Allow him to work his amazing grace in your life and to redeem you back to God and restore you in right fellowship with your God, your maker, and your redeemer. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He can save to the uttermost. He can save. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've become. It does not matter what you have done. He can save you. I heard the story of a teenage girl that ran off. And her parents spent everything that they had, every single penny they had, they spent searching for their daughter. And years went by. This young lady found herself in prostitution. She walked into a hotel one day, and on a pinup board, a bulletin board in this hotel, she saw her picture as a young girl. It had her name, and it said, wherever you've gone, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, come home. You are not beyond the grace and the salvation of our God. It does not matter what the dark secret of your life is. God loves you. He died for you. 
He gave himself for you on a cross, and he rose up out of that grave so that you could triumph over that dark thing in your heart, so that you could overcome sin. It's not just to escape the the, the consequences of sin. It's a power that gives us authority to rise over sin and no longer be bound and held by it. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I want us to stand together. I want my wife to sing a song. And if you need to come, we're going to sing this song. We're going to prepare for communion. But if you need to come and you want to pray a prayer of salvation and return to the Lord, I want you to come to this altar as my wife sings, as our ushers are preparing for communion. You guys can go ahead and distribute the communion throughout the sanctuary. If you need prayer, come.
Hopefully by now everybody has the elements of the Lord's table. The cross. Is God bridging the gap? It's caused by our sin. It keeps us from him. This is God's great plan from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. This was God's plan. The Bible warns us that we shouldn't do what we're about to do unworthily. I think that has a lot to do with our relationships. We should not partake of this unworthily. So I want us to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. And if there's anything there, I want us to put it right. Put it right with God. If there's anything between you and him, put it right. If there's anything in a relationship that's out of order, put it right. Every time we take communion, we should grow closer to the Lord. Every time we take communion, we should grow in our spiritual life. Because it's a time where we look inward, we reflect, we put things right, and we go forward with Christ. Are you thankful for the cross of Jesus? Amen. The Bible tells us that the bread is significant of his body that was broken on our behalf. And when we take it, we do it in remembrance of him. Take the bread in remembrance of him and what he's done for you. cup, significant of the blood of Jesus, spilled for our sins, to take it, do it in remembrance of what he's done. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for your goodness to our lives. We don't really deserve it. Sometimes it's hard to comprehend why you love us. But while we were sinners, you died for us. It's a magnificent thing. We honor you, Lord. Help us, Lord God, by your spirit to grow in your grace, to live as you lived, to obey your word, to be salt and light in this world, to be a witness the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. Fill us full of your spirit, O oh God. Lord, give us strong fellowship, communion with you. Be with us, Lord God. Let us be ever cognizant of your present, Lord, presence, that you are, you are indeed with us. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are for us and not against us. Lord, we bless you. I bless everyone in this building, Lord. I just speak blessing and favor. Cause your countenance to shine upon every one of them, Lord God. May they experience your peace and your joy and your strength. There will be problems this week, but be with us. 
We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, doesn't it feel good to be together today? I just think, last year we were in quarantine on Easter. But we are together, and it feels good. I believe God is resurrecting things in his church. I believe we're about to see the greatest awakening this world has ever seen. As Ravenhill said, a Pentecost that will out-Pentecost Pentecost. There's an outpouring of God's Spirit that's coming like nothing we have ever seen or read about. God's about to do a work. Get excited about it. Amen. Hey, we love you. It is good to be together. We'll be back next week. If you're, if you're new to return, if this is your first time, come and be back with us next week. My, my friend, Pastor Virgil Amundsen, is going to be here ministering the Word. He's a retired pastor, a spiritual giant. He, he pastored a great church up in Wisconsin, small town, built a great church, and he has done tremendous things to impact. Their church did amazing things. I can't even begin to tell you about the amazing things they've done around the world in missions, sending ships and airplanes to different countries to preach the gospel, amazing things. You don't want to miss being here as Pastor Virgil is here next week. God bless each and every one of you. Steve Manneke is going to come and dismiss you. Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. Do you feel like you've had the Spirit of the Lord resurrected in you today? If you haven't, you can stay around and we'll give you a second dose. But those of you that did get that message, we have boxes on the back for your offerings, and we would appreciate you partnering with this ministry to proclaim this gospel that you just heard about again today. And those of you that are members been here we thank you for your faithfulness this church is going to grow and is doing what god has commanded uh -oh. us to do because of your faithfulness yeah. that's part of your ministry we all have a place in the church we all have a thing to do part of it is being a minister of giving so just i'm going to dismiss you